Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is a TV producer, music producer, DJ, man of many talents. His name is Ollie Reed. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We've, uh, well, thank you very much for appearing on the show. We've actually caught you at a very interesting time, I feel, in your career because while you have a career in, in TV production, um, and we'll get into that, you're kind of transitioning now into music. Um, yeah. So let's let's start there. Before we delve into you know, the specifics of your music and your TV careers, let's look at that transition. Why, why now? What's, what's changed for you? Why, why are we de- delving into that now? Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, like, like most people in the world, they always have this kind of this side hustle, this interest, and that, and that just, for me, happened to be music. Um, but it only really kind of, it started, um, well, I started DJing um, yeah, a few years ago when I, was at, when I went to university. That kind of like opened me up to this world of um, electronic music um, production and DJing and um then I've, I've been musical my whole life I was one of those kids that kind of got pushed to play a musical instrument by their by their parents and they're much younger and then then ended up hating it um what did you play what was... so I so I played piano um okay. from, from a very early age I think I started when I was like four or like maybe even three so I Damn. so I, was, wow. I kind of okay. like yeah I, I as I grew up my brain developed like I, was, I just have music there the whole time, so I guess that kind of that helps in 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 a lot of things. But um, then yeah, trumpet um, as well. I, I played that um, until until much later. But then um, I kind of I kind of stopped for a while, and then it was only when um, the pandemic happened, and you know you have a lot more free time on your hands. That I thought, oh, you know what. I'm I've always wanted to why not start trying to compose and get in production you know turn those songs that you're like humming to yourself in the shower into something actual physical and then um and then just yeah timing and everything kind of kind of a year had passed um and from watching online videos and stuff I finally released my first music um which was self-release but then from that i managed to get signed with the label um and then you know things were going great and then and then i had a bit of a down period um because you know the the day job picked up a bit um which i love so that was the tv side of things and you know doing such interesting things from like um shows for bbc netflix channel four you know all these all these great shows that you're able to to work on and create but then um about a year two years ago i i thought okay i want to get back into into the music again you know i've had a bit of a down period maybe a year out of it and then so i started started to pick that up again and then now you've just caught me um really at, at the start of me picking it back up again um my latest release um went to uh, the top 10 in the dance charts Congratulations. Um, that's huge thank you yeah so um so it's kind of like good good so far so far so good um want to continue that success at the minute you know i'm, I'm eager i've tasted it i'm hungry 
Absolutely. Um, this, I don't like to try and focus on negativity, but um, I like to kind of hit all different areas. You mentioned there was a bit of a down period and you mm. said that it was about because of your TV work picking up. Now, was it a situation where you just didn't have time at all for music or was it just kind of like walk me through that a little bit and then how you were able to kind of push it back to where it needed to be? Hmm. Yeah, so I I think a big side of it was time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you'd have you'd be working not not exactly a nine to five. It would be like right. crazy hours, and then so you you'd either what I found is I'd either get home from work um, and be so exhausted to the fact that I I didn't want to create anything, mm-hmm. or there's small times you know you might have like a one one weekend day where you, where you actually do have time you sit down and i just i had no inspiration whatsoever like i was i was creatively drained i guess um okay and i don't i don't really know what happened what changed i think i think it was i my brain kind of needed a bit of a reset you know there were a lot of things going on in my life that um kind of distracting getting in the way from from being able to actually pursue the music. Um, and then, and then, so that's, I guess why it took a bit of backseat. Um, and I guess it was never intentional, but it just, just naturally happened. Um, and then, and then, yeah, after that certain amount of time had passed, I kind of, I had like a, a, a new spark and you kind of like, Oh, you know what? Actually, I really want to make this. Or I'd find myself in cooking dinner or in the shower or, even like lying in bed sometimes, I'd be like thinking of this tune. I'd be like, shit, I need to get up and do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where you're coming from on that. It's, it's one of those typical things, isn't it? It just hits you and you're like, ah, ah, crap. I, I really need to get this down right now, right now. <laughs> Before yeah, it goes. exactly. Um, and I think, I think that was that was the first kind of um, thing that, that kind of spurred me into it again was because... Because, you know, yeah, you, you sit down to, to do it, you're in front of your computer or um, you pick up a musical instrument and you can never think of anything or do anything in, the, in that moment. And it was one night I was literally laying in bed and I thought, screw it. And I got up from bed, went to my computer. It must have been like early hours of the morning and just like started making it. And then once I started that, kind of, you know, the ball got rolling, started that that journey. It's the thing about songwriting, isn't it? It's it's interesting because I got the same thing as you. I can't mm. like, I have to wait until I either feel like I'm in the sounds so douchey to say, but like the zone for it, the mindset for it. Like you just yeah, have that no, feeling yeah. like now is the time, or you have a a really piercing idea. Like you know, like I've often used it as a form of therapy to just deal with stuff. Like oh, feeling depressed, sit down, write a song, right? Write something. Yeah. You use it somehow. Um, well, that that's what music is, though, isn't it? It's that kind of like that that transfer of of emotions and feelings from from yourself into into music. Well, not always. I mean, generally speaking, yeah. If you look at like the best music created, you ask the artists, they'll be like, "Yeah, you know, hard times. That's that's what you're hearing." <laughs> yeah. But then other be other times, it's like you know, you hear songs, and you know, they're they're not written like that. They're just kind of and they might even be good, but they're just not 
necessarily written about a real event or anything they're just mm. you know so i suppose it depends it depends on the person's ability maybe to communicate certain things and it also i suppose depends on how yeah how how you voice that message how you kind of put stuff together i mean i don't know like i hear something like um like i'm a big radiohead fan for example and yeah that the song I'll literally just listen to them they're amazing <laughs> aren't they yeah like yeah. I, I don't know like i listen to a song like fake plastic trees and I'm like, wow, it's such a heart, such a heartbreaking song. And then it's weird because like you read about how the song's created, and it turns out it was somewhat of a joke, not not exactly a joke, but like the lyrics were supposed to be just nonsensical. It's supposed to be kind of a mm. silly song. And then when they went in there and he just did the take, he like broke down afterwards because he put like everything into it. And it's like, yeah, I think you can't always account for that sometimes, like. Like I get this sometimes, like music that um, I wrote when I was in like a dark place kind of thing is now like I don't feel that way anymore. I'm in a better headspace, mm. but like whenever I play it, the one or two things happens. Either like I feel like I'm tapping back into that, and it's like, oh, this is a slippery road, yeah. or it just feels like distant in a box and it's you know you you know you you do it you play it you recognize it but it's still detached from you kind of thing yeah like how do you feel about the music you write like how connected to you to it are you is it for you just good music good music or is it like more of a personal thing for you um i would say i would say it's about 50 50 um i mean most in fact 99 percent of the songs i write um and create you know no, no one's ever going to hear them and I hate them. <laughs> you know, you can spend hours obsessing over and producing a song. Um, and then... Gold bind right you know, there. To, yeah, you, you, you <laughs> overdo it. And and you're kind of just like, you know what, I hate this. And then you put it to bed. Um, I'll, say, I'll then, say this now. If you ever become like huge, 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 huge musician, right? Yeah. Save all that stuff for your fans. Yeah. And like one day release it as part of like a, you know, B size extra stuff. And I bet you any money, there's like a ton of bangers there that you thought were shit, but actually people will think is amazing. But yeah, any money. No, I'm, I'm going to write that down. And then <laughs> you know, one day in like 30 years time, I'm going to make a big buck from that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, I think the thing is with, um, with the music I make is it's, so it's, it's electronic music. It's not, um, it doesn't have the same energy as um, mm -hmm. as other genres might, you know, like jazz is different from rock, is different from um, house, you know. But one thing I do believe is that all music has, all right, I might not be in a dark place when I write something, but I I think that it still conveys an emotion to the listener. So, you know, be it house music or or techno or something, you know, it's gonna be making them feel um that that energy and want to dance, just as Radiohead, for example, won't make, necessarily make me want to dance, but it will, you know, it conveys this emotion in my head. I mean, if I did start like booging to it. It's a tragic dance, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the dance of the dying or the, I don't know. Maybe a waltz. But um, but yeah, it's, it kind of conveys that emotion. I feel like that's what I always try to do with my tracks. And that's sort of yeah. like the holy grail in my mind is that if I make anyone feel anything, then that's that's job done. How much uh, time have you spent sort of performing? Because I know like being a DJ and 
like doing a gig like as a dj is a bit of a different experience so like i've always been in like you know rock bands metal bands singing on a stage whatever um talk us through kind of the performance element for you and, and what that's like and how that kind of is enacted yeah so um yeah so the performance is it's interesting because because djing always has a bit of a bad rep and in terms of like the music performance kind of community a lot of people (laughs) think it is just pressing a button um but the thing is with it is is it it's okay it's as someone that plays musical instruments i would say that it's not necessarily the same sort of pressure that that you have and like you know you play one note wrong and then it can it can cock up the song but then with DJing you don't really have that but I feel like there's there's elements to it where you need to kind of transform the the audience's night and and sculpt it into something that that you are in charge of you know you want them to have a good time you want to make them feel something um and I feel like yeah when when I've DJed in the past I've you know the first few gigs that I had I I went to it with okay I've got this set I've rehearsed it to a T but then it would never and it would sound amazing but it would never translate on the night because I wasn't reading the room interesting you 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 kind of you know you're playing some songs and they might go together really well but the audience might then want something even like more energy or they might want something to like you know just Uh... give them a break a bit it's been super intense and you can always read the room a bit when I'm on stage and I'm kind of viewing the crowd and I'm kind of seeing how people are dancing. Normally it's the people who like pushed up against the barrier or whatever, having like the time of their life. They're, they're normally the best, the people giving you fist bumps. But um, then, you know, it once, once you get rid of that kind of pre-prepared kind of, I mean, yeah, you might have some, songs that you know go together and you're like oh yeah they're a really good combo but once you get rid of that set you can it it kind of opens your your world and your possibilities to kind of make everyone's night even better and so nowadays i kind of i just improvise <laughs> you know i, I, I never plan anything I'm i don't like, oh, uh... want to play this but what you're saying there about like reading the room like it's the only way to approach something like this i mean and i think it does kind of somewhat yeah you know it applies to to you know atypical performances with say with like instruments or whatever it's the same it's the same vibe like you can mm. you always have a set list and you can mix and and chop and change according to the room you know mm. like um i think a good example of this is like if you if you're playing in a high energy place and everyone's like wants to hear the big tracks and then you're playing like more acoustic stuff and chilled and it's like very depressing it's like you're just killing the energy in the room and everyone's like come on man give me something give me something but like equally um what's different with the type of music that you do is it's like it's kind of like a journey isn't it it's like Mm -hmm. you're you're kind of trying to some of somewhat of it is prediction but a lot of it is is the crowd gives you almost like the instruction manual they're like no we want this we want this and it's like you've got to quickly i suppose adapt like something that's interesting to me is like okay so 
one one area that it differs is like if if I'm playing like in a typical band, we can just mm. choose to just play a different song, switch up the set list. But you've kind of pre sort of like edited this, put this to put it together. So like, how do you kind of make last minute changes to kind of adapt to what the audience is demanding from you? Um, I will, I will kind of just know my. So I'll, I'll <laughs> you just like he's just born perfect, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I just know. Like, do you not know? <laughs> but no I'll, I'll i'll kind of like so with djing i mean for, for any of your listeners that don't that don't know you you have um a library of songs on usb um that you then plug into the dj controller um and then from that you'll be able to then work with them and you can pre-prepare things and um you know set cue points and songs so that you can more um, manipulate them more. So, you know, you press some buttons and it goes to different places. It does different things. Um, right, so you could set it kind of like a multi-track system. So you could like switch to different songs at will, blend them yeah, in, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, you know, you, you can play, um, but if it's a good big venue, you can have four decks at once. So Damn. you are able to kind of, almost create a song from other songs yeah almost you know like so there's been more than a few occasions where i've um you know I've, I've taken one song where it has a really good beat and i found a section in that song where that beat is just playing and i'll loop that beat and then you have another song that might be like a 80s classic or whatever and then you can kind of almost sample that song as you're doing it. So you're almost like creating a new song live. But that's like the extreme example of being able to kind of um, plan these songs and and kind of manipulate them, manipulate them and turn them into something that you want. But then you need to know your USB and, and your catalogue inside out so that when if you're like oh yeah i planned this thing and you think it's going to be great it's going to be sick everyone's going to love it but then the vibe in the room just isn't asking for it at that moment you know you kind of need to read it then you can be like okay right that song maybe not but i do know this other song which will go really well with it and then so you have to like think on your feet kind of okay. should be able to chop and change like no song's going to last more than three or four minutes so you kind of need to jump on it <laughs> i guess i gotta ask we'll go we'll go negative to positive all right, all right. so we'll, we'll bring it back up <laughs> worst shows ever come on tell me tell me of some fuck-ups either on your part or someone else where it just absolutely bombed and there was no way of saving it <laughs> yeah okay right so, <laughs> so one the one that comes to mind is um my first ever gig that i had Okay, well, to be fair, um, you can be forgiven on this before we get into this. This is forgivable yeah. territory, but yeah, but go on. It was, so, on, so on the DJ controller, you've got this button called Q. Um, anyone that knows DJing will, will know it's like a big orange button that's right next to the play button. That if you press it, it kind of like goes to a Q point that you've set. And that's always automatically at the start of the song. But it's just like it, it's right next to the kind of like the mixing channels. 
And so I'm, I'm playing and it's going great. And then I'm like almost like use my hands to kind of you do the mixes. And then, and then the, the kind of like palm of my hand, the bottom of my hand accidentally hits the cue button on the song that's playing and it just stops everything. And it, the oh. crowd just like goes like, what the fuck just happened? And I was just like, shit, what do I do? And like, oh, you know, it's my no. first time playing live. And I kind of, it's just silence and it's the most awkward thing. And it How only long? happened for like two seconds okay. of silence. But I was just like, it felt like an eternity. And that was, like, I still have nightmares about that. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> no, I get it, man. I get it. It happens. It happens. All right. Switch it up. Best All performance right. ever. Best performance. I would say has to be, um, I, so... I went and did a my masters in Falmouth. Oh wow! Um, down in Cornwall, and if anyone's been to Falmouth in Cornwall, they'll know that it's kind of a small town, not really much going on, and there was hardly any like DJing, house techno, no no nights like that. And so I got a bit tired of it, and so set up my own event um and went to this bar club and was like oh yeah can i put on my event here and then we ended up doing it and that night was although it's not like the biggest venue i've ever played but it is it was by far the best because it was almost like so intimate and special that it just like you felt just on another level um like there was this almost like this booth above the dance floor where the DJ was, where I was. Um, but we allowed it so that the audience could kind of like come up and mingle as well as being on the dance floor. And that kind of created like this kind of vibe that everyone was just, everyone was digging, you know? Everyone just loved it. They felt like almost special being up there. And then they like connected with with you more because they're dancing right next to you. And it, it just felt really special, really good. Um, it was one of those, it was the night where I've had the most compliments of, of like music and everyone having a great time. So I have to say that that was, yeah, that, that tops it. Awesome, man. What was the kind of, what what kind of comments do you generally receive about, you know, performances? I'm kind of intrigued because I've never actually interviewed a DJ. So this is all kind of like new to me, like as far as learning and, and such, like what was, what's kind of the comments that you tend to receive um so i would say most of them are kind of people you know you might play a really good song and mix something in and people are like off their tits and might be at the front and they're like oh my god mate that was so sick and like want to fist bump you and stuff that's the most common the second most common would be like wanting to know your set list because you've played you've introduced them to really sick songs and oh, really, cool. they really want to know that that's a great compliment um and then and then yeah sometimes you just be like there afterwards and like people will be like oh my god mate that was so like just like digging it you know it's, it's, it's exactly the same as if you if if you played uh guitar on stage and people come up to you afterwards they're like bro that was so sick kind of like just the general kind of stuff like that um but yeah it's good vibes Feel, feels you with energy let's switch it up and yeah. uh 
talk about your career in TV production. So you are a TV producer and have worked for the BBC, Channel 4, Netflix, just to name a few. What would you say have been your kind of most memorable experiences in your TV production career? Gosh, so it has been, for someone who's kind of quite young, I feel like I've I've experienced a lot in a very short time. So it it was, it was partly helped by um, the pandemic mm-hmm. and um, the production company I was working for um, had to slim down, but I kind of I I stayed on and I kind of had to do like four or five people's jobs. Wow! <laughs> and so this meant though that I I picked up a shit ton of experience, um, and it allowed me to go across a lot of different productions. And I got and I got working on um, um. So I I was actually in development at the time. Um, that was that was my actual job the one that I was being paid for, um, I was in development. So that's where you come up with show ideas and then you turn them from like a basic, oh, would it be cool if we did a show about man-eating bread? And then you turn that idea into an actual structured format that can be made into a show. And then you sell that to a to a channel, um, such as BBC. And... I, when I was working in that, we had an idea about, so Prudith, um, Cook Baker, she's on Great British Bake Off. Um, she was moving house and she's, she's a very likable character. And, and we, we got to, we got in with her and we're like, all right, yeah, okay. Maybe we can um, make a show about, you know, your kind of, you're building a new house and then it transformed into okay right it's it's her planting her own garden which this is like so opposite of what we've just been talking about (laughs) it's like so kind of tame but it was so nice because what I did is I went from developing it um and then because of the pandemic I was then able to then go and make it and I spent weeks months just kind of hanging out at Brulee's house and like um, filming her and her small team kind of planting this new garden. It was just really nice. Like, you know, you'd stop for lunch and I'd always bring like a packed lunch with me, but I'd always go in and Brulee would have made something and be like, oh, no, 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 you have to eat this. I'm just like, holy shit, this is like this like celebrity chef that I'm just kind of just being... Just casually eating her soup or whatever, <laughs> which was cool. That was a really cool experience. Awesome, man. Um, you mentioned in that that you know part of what you do is pitch shows to uh, to different com- um, TV producers. Uh, sorry, TV production companies. Yeah. Um, walk us through that process of actually pitching a TV show. And uh, I'm kind of intrigued to know like the the good and the bad and the ugly side of that because I'm sure yeah. you get some pretty brutal comments. Yeah. Oh my god. It's it's sort <laughs> of like um, it's sort of like the music industry or like acting where you have to be good at being um, at being good at handling rejection because ninety nine point nine percent of what you come up with, even though it might be a fantastic idea, will be rejected and um often for no reason at all 
Um, and then five years later, you'll see exactly the show that you've come up with or whatever. Um, and it, it might not be that they're stealing something, but just like, you know, it's not just not the right time and the place, right moment to get in with something. I have had some some experiences that I can't talk about right. where I'm pretty sure channels have been quite cheeky and stolen. stolen. I was going to say, like, how, how do you even combat that? Like, can you patent an idea? I suppose you can't really. Maybe a concept, but... Yeah, I think you, you can, but, um, like, you know, so in, so in the UK, we're, right. we're lucky enough to have quite good copyright laws. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like America where you have to go to the office and get it filed and everything. Here, as soon as you come up with it, it's it's yours if it's something creative but the th- the problem with that is that if it's if someone come say if i come up with a baking show mm-hmm. but then the channel doesn't want it but then they might then slightly change it to a very it's almost the same but they change one little format point then then it's no longer yours and and you got to prove it You've got to prove that that they've done stuff and you know like these are your customers as well yeah so often you kind of just grit and bear it and it's not worth the the fight but there, there, there have been a few occasions well a couple of occasions where it's been a bit of a bit of a kick in the balls um but no i mean i think in in my my experience in tv has been quite um good compared to most production companies so like most most companies will have um maybe like one or two shows being commissioned each year and we got um we're a small team but we got maybe like four or five maybe even six a year and then that's still only maybe like five percent of what you're pitching um you know you might come up with 100 shows a year and you'll still be told no to all of them um for some of them yeah terrible ideas um but you'll never you'll never pitch like a terrible idea always be worked through um but yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a killer industry for if you're if you're not thick thick skinned how did you learn to deal with that um I guess I guess you kind of I don't I guess you don't learn you just, you, you yeah. kind of just you deal with it like that that's the industry it's okay. like um you know my my experience in in anything creative and and knowing from other people's experiences is that it is it killer industries you know there's so much rejection because it's it's all very kind of um uh subjective you mm-hmm. know you could go to one person and they might hate an idea you could go to another person they might love that idea however you have to catch them at the right moment because they might be having a really bad day or they've just burnt their toast or whatever you know it could be anything that could influence their decisions on these things and so yeah you can't you kind of just you just just deal with it <laughs> like sometimes it gets to, does get to the point where you're like oh my god like what am i how am i going to crack this i guess i guess that's my thinking is is not like focusing and dwelling on on 
the negatives, but more like I'm determined to get some some idea that's going to crack it. Yeah, we're going to get some commission. We're going to make a really, really great show. And so I've just got to keep on working until we get that. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen or heard happen on a production? Gosh, what's the craziest thing? Not much, I have to say. Like it's all it's all pretty pretty well well oiled. So I so I work in um factual TV, so that's that's basically anything that doesn't involve actors. So that could be reality, it could mm-hmm. be a cooking show, it could be a documentary. But with that, and not not a lot of crazy happened. I mean, you do meet some really crazy people and get some really crazy scenarios. So like so the <laughs> last few months i i was working on a bbc hip hop show we'll not we'll not say what it is cuz i can't but... i will i will just say this for anyone who's wondering why like you always have to remember that with conversations like this lawyers and laws yeah. and yeah so you know, you're doing away so much. I no, mean, I, I get it, man. Thing. I get it. Like it's, it's the same reason I never use specifics, names, anything. Just you know, keep it yeah. hazy. <laughs> it's like you might name a brand. You're like, but other brands are available. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like so working on a BBC hip hop show, doing the graphics for that. And on that, we had loads and loads of incredible archive and footage and access to some of the some of the pioneers of that genre and kind of having access to almost their personal lives. That's insane. Um, after that, we were making a, a crime documentary um, and I met and spent time with um, some of the biggest criminals in the UK, um, like cocaine kingpins um, or ex-cocaine kingpins, I should say um and like that's also insane what was it like being in the room with them did you because i mean you're there to do a tv show and of course they know that but it must feel different in some in in a large way like do you feel nervous scared i don't know yeah i mean you kind of you kind of just um you you forget about it i guess you kind of yeah like going to it you're like oh my god this guy he's like the biggest cocaine dealer in the UK or whatever. And then, and then when you're there, it's kind of, you know, you're, you're just doing an interview or film something and, you, and you're so kind of wrapped up in your job and your role. And you might, you might talk to them, just have a little, little chat um, just to kind of like be friendly and not be awkward. Um, but you kind of, you almost forget like, um, is there any interest? Time, yeah. Go, oh, sorry, go on. This one time I ended up getting this guy's business card Um, and he was, um, I'm not going to name any names, but he was a retired, yeah, cocaine kingpin who now transitioned to another business. But he he was like, oh, here's my card, you know, if you ever need anything. I was just like, (laughs) okay, cool. (laughs) Is there any any, like crazy kind of... no, I remember necessarily crazy, but strange requests, weird requests from um, real people that you've dealt with um, on the on these sort of reality shows um, mm. that maybe 
caught you by surprise, something like that? Um, I would say I would say less of the crazy requests, more just you 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 start to challenge your faith in humanity. Um, Ooh, people okay. turn into you know you can have you can have absolutely lovely people, and that's one of the benefits of working in TV is you do get to meet all kinds of people from all walks of life, and it's incredible. And a lot of these people, what they do is incredible. But you also meet some people that are quite difficult. Um, so there might be um, presenters that mm. might. You know, you you might think, oh, they're they're absolutely fine, and then they're the kind of people that would want to test every hotel room in a city that you're going to um, to stay in to film to make sure that they've got the best one. Or okay, um, sending sending people on massive run around to get like a specific type of water that they might yeah. Want. What gives with that? Like, I don't know. If I was ever working in TV, like, I'd feel awkward enough someone bringing me stuff anyway. But, like, stuff mm. like when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, come on, man. Like, it's crazy. It's actually insane. I mean, I've, I have experienced some people that are really down to earth. Yeah. And they're, and they're normally like people that you wouldn't really expect. So, like, um, normally the really big ones are the more down-to-earth people, um, yeah. which is which is strange. But then I'd say it's almost like a prima donna effect. It's sort of like the, the middle-ish celebrities that I've found to be the most difficult with dealing with. What's the most um, outrageous um, demand that you've, you've been given where you were just like, no, this is ridiculous? Gosh, um... I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can talk about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Were there any you had? Were there any you had to maybe like turn down for some reason? There was, just, there? was there? Was there any requests you had to turn down maybe for whatever reason? Oh yeah, loads of them. I mean, it might be it might be that they ask for something and then you just can't just can't do it. Um, yeah. it might be that they most of the time it's um, contracts. And they asked for stupid amounts of money. Um, Interesting. There was a particular YouTuber, influencer person that um, I would say is big on YouTube, but not hasn't had like TV time. And they were asking for more money than you would expect, like a Hollywood A-lister to ask for to be on this show. And and you're just like absolutely not <laughs> like. You know, you, you kind of, you get these, you have these conversations. You don't know when to say, are you being serious? Like, are you, are you actually joking with me on this one? In that particular instance, were you able to come to an agreement or did they just kind of go, oh, no, it's not, it's not enough? No, no, we, we kind of, we left it on that one. Right. Um, like we, we, you know, it gets to the point where you, you have so much time on your hands and you can't keep on forking out it all for, this this is what drives me nuts, man. Like, because yeah. I know for me, like I'm I'm a struggling actor, voice actor. I do a lot of different things. And man, what I would do for some TV time to like promote myself. Do you know what I mean? Like you got to look at the yeah. bigger picture sometimes. Like that TV time is so much more worth 
more valuable than the flat fee you're going to get paid to be on the show like you know what i mean it's yeah. and when you put it into exactly. perspective like your time is valuable don't get me wrong but like tv time versus youtube time like i still think tv time yeah internationally Basically. you know what i mean just oh yeah. so frustrating i mean you, i mean you're almost having to do no work for it as well a lot yeah. of the time a lot of people you know they obviously they have to work but there's no like preparations you've got an entire production crew sorting everything else out so if you're like doing a youtube show where you've kind of like got to set everything up and you're kind of in charge and more responsible for things as opposed to being on a tv show where 99 percent of it's done for you then it's it's almost um it's almost like nonsensical mm um i mean there have been occasions like huge success stories where i I, I worked on this show called um i can actually talk about this one because it came out um rich house poor house um it's on channel five and essentially you have a rich family that swaps with a poor family so they can the rich family will experience what it's like to be poor and kind of grow a conscience and the Uh. poor family will kind of get a lot of benefits from it and right. you know get set up with like almost like businesses and like the rich family almost always ends up helping them that's cool um and like offering them jobs or like helping to fix like a repair that needs doing in their house um but then there's this there's this one um show that just like kind of sticks in my mind of like this is why you just like tv is like the best advertising best investment that you can have this this rich family went on it and, and they did um like cosmetic um uh features for, for for women and one thing they did as well was like um if a woman has had cancer and they've lost their hair or um breast cancer they've lost their their breasts and um they can like tattoo on um like eyebrows right. fake nipples th- things like you know features that actually help um and in this show you know th- they were genuinely lovely people this mm. this rich family but overnight from them just being on the show their business received quarter of a million pounds worth of customers overnight <laughs> which is insane it's like of course you've of course you do it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly the way I look at it. It's like any opportunity to get um, even just a little bit of advertising, you can do so much with it. Like That's the way I look at Like right now, I've been appearing on a lot of other people's shows. And mm. um, the primary reason is it's the same thing because it's like, you know, you, you connect with new people, which is always valuable. And you also... Um, get opportunities to advertise yourself to to win people over you know it's it's always a an advertisement of sorts and I feel like especially when you're on tv you know you're able to present yourself and show yourself in the right light um, I will say this though I think it does depend on the type of show that you appear on like yeah, I've yeah. I've had offers to be for example on reality tv show as in like those kind of shows you know you produce for like ITV or something and it's like they just Love want Ireland, to- is it no 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 never no no but there was like similar shows where it was like they just they want quick sound bites they want you know someone to be like yeah yeah, yeah, this is me yeah yeah, party 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 like they want that kind of person and that's not me i'm 
storyteller talk no, for a exactly, long time yeah. you know and it's it's fine there's just different types of people um but i do think it makes you appreciate what you get involved with and how that affects your reputation and, and mm. such but you know one of the comments i always got from from my audience and i still to this day get is people say well yeah but like it's exposure isn't it you know you got to like look at it like it's an opportunity it's always an opportunity and it's it is something to think about you know i do sit there and wonder sometimes like should i have taken it maybe you can transition it doesn't matter even if you're there for like one episode and you get i don't know voted out or something like bang you're on television you know of course it matters i mean what's the worst that's going to happen as well well i mean i mean obviously if you're if you're a dick and you're a dick on tv then people are gonna come on you know how tv production works even if you're lovely you can be made to look like a dick (laughs) if through like creative editing i'd say that if you don't do anything to be a dick then you won't come across as being a dick okay question okay do you think sometimes when TV productions are edited in a certain way to make someone look like a dick, do you think that's because that person has acted that way towards the crew and everybody? And so they're kind of like, hmm, revenge. Or do you think it's, as you say, just kind of someone just being a dick and the cameras just capture what they capture and the editors kind of go, okay, well, let's accentuate this. I'd say, I'd say, yeah. So there's, so there's different, different scenarios. Where this could happen. Yeah, they could be addicted to the production crew. Um, and then they're almost made out to be a bad guy in the right. show. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, they have to be a, a dick on camera always. Because if there's no being them being a dick on camera, then they can't be a dick in the show. Um, but then 99% of times where this has happened the person gets made to look nicer than they are which is which is interesting like there's been so many times where i've been like this this absolute dick like can't we just make him out to be an absolute like tit on tv um but you always don't um well not always but 99 percent of the time you don't because you're not there to ruin someone's life. No, of course not. You know, exactly. So, like, if if they're on a reality show like Love Island, which I've never worked on, but I know on some of these shows that they that they do um, you know, edit in a certain way so that they have characters. You know, you need you need goodies, you need baddies, you need funny people, you need like stupid people, and so it is edited in a certain way to do that but otherwise if it if it's just like a show like rich house poor house you you're not going to make them look like a dick because they're real people and they have real lives outside of tv you know you you you're gonna want them to kind of their lives not to be negatively affected after the show because it it could come back to bite you you know have you had any instances like that where it's someone on a show that you produced was affected negatively and and how did you your team kind of manage that thereafter um we had um we've never had it where they've been negatively affected in terms of like they've been made out to look like a dick or anything Mm -hmm. but we had 
we had one person on a show that they they didn't like i mean they, they looked fine but they didn't then want something to be to be shown or be portrayed and they then were f- like threatening lawsuits and they didn't really have anything any legs to stand on because you know they've, they've signed all the contracts and everything but in the end like the lawyers were like we can do this it's fine but then in the end we kind of we ended up not not showing it anyway because like you you if you ended up showing that you know i i would feel like an asshole and and i don't want to be an asshole yeah at the end of the day i i i want the people that i work with and that i film with to like me i don't want to have this reputation of of you know upsetting people and being being bad i, I don't i don't want to be the bad guy so at the end of the day you know you just kind of you do you be as as good as you can I suppose this begs an interesting question because like a lot of tv production companies kind of do have a bad rap because of some mm. of the shows that have been produced under them but then you get really genuinely good shows as well mm. um so i i guess i, I guess with that it, it, it comes to like say if you meet one bad person in the street Sure. You're going to remember that bad person mm. and it's going to stick in your mind. Everyone else might be lovely, but you're only going to remember that one bad person. And I'd say that's the same with TV shows as well, is that, you know, there'll be that one example of how this production company and certain production companies are worse than others. Um, <laughs> you know, some of them have reputations um, of being of being kind of terrible. Um if I if I if I got this that. right as well, like for example, let's take a show like uh, Jeremy Kyle, for example. Yeah, right. That show, like, while it might be sort of like funded by, I think it was on ITV, wasn't it? I think no. Or, yeah, I think yeah. So. Um, but then there's an independent production company that's responsible for it. Is that right? It's never, it's never yeah. like directly. Like, I suppose you do have some in-house productions, but generally speaking, a lot of the productions are yeah, external. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll all be um, made by the production company yeah. for, for a channel. Okay. Um, so the channel can still be liable. Like when you when you work sure. for a production company, you have to um, meet certain guidelines, standards that the channel will lay out. But what, they're essentially a customer. What would you say are the kind of most challenging or difficult regulations or laws that you have to sort of contend with on a regular basis? Um, the most difficult one is um, <clears throat> people always mess this up. Like you'd have thought that something so so common to cock up that people would wise up to it, but it's where you film something in a documentary and they don't sign a release form. And so you can't use any of that footage. Oh, mad, so yeah. On, on many, many occasions, I've been sat across from someone who might be responsible for, um, like, sorting out all this stuff, and then hear, like, many of obscenities spouted from their from their mouth as they realize that you can't use this entire scene or this character because 
people making it forgot to make them sign. Um, and there, in fact, actually, yes. Yeah, so we we did have a lawsuit brought to us from a. I can't talk about it. I'm thinking about how I can talk about this. Brought to us by a gentleman in a South American country that we'd filmed on one of our shows for Netflix. And they said that they didn't know that it was being filmed for Netflix and this, that and the other. They definitely did. Like, we've got them being like playing to camera like them in a room like the the camera's rolling like um in a room where the producer is explaining to this room of people what the show is yeah, this is interesting time. this is interesting though um so that 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 wasn't like a a scenario where the person was being filmed like one on one was it they're part of a background yeah. scenario okay so yeah. this is key. I know that in the States, if mm. you're, say, filming outside, like on a beach or something, um, that's considered fair game. And all you have to do is like blur out the people's faces. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm talking about a different nation here. How does that apply in the UK? And how come this... Actually, sorry, you mentioned that the man was South American. Was it filmed in South America or was it... It was, yeah. It was, yeah. okay. So with that in mind, does does that law not apply there? Is it different in South America somehow? Can you not just blur um, out the person's face? Yeah, so it's, it gets really complicated and this is right. where I kind of lose track of it because um, because this is where the lawyers get involved. But it was, um, it's basically like you always get them signing consent form because right. even if that's not the case in, um, let's say, Brazil, for example, but it will be the case in the UK. Mm -hmm. So if it's an international show for Netflix, you need to have this kind of blanket cover for you. Um, we made a show called Inside the World's Toughest Prisons, which is on Netflix. Um, and on that, you would have to get every single person that was on captured on camera if in the background or not to sign. Otherwise, you'd have to blur their faces. And for... A production the prisoners, the prisoners had to sign release forms. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, this begs an interesting question, though. Real quick, um, they're in prison, right? Yeah. So they don't have rights. Therefore, surely, no, they they do have rights. They do still so have rights. Yeah, that's that's where that's where the because um, I, I would have thought that maybe like the I don't know owners of the prison would be the ones to get to determine that or something. Yeah. No. They they. Do the owners of prison, you know, they, they have to agree to it all and everything, sure. but the prisoners, they're still citizens, they're still able to, you know, they've still got human rights. Absolutely. So, right. I mean, obviously it depends what country it's in, mm -hmm. how well they're treated, um, but they do still have to sign, yeah. And if, and if they don't, we can't use that footage. Interesting. Um, i got to ask... That yeah. that time when you're working on that, what what was it like working with those prisoners and hearing their stories and such? Um, so the show it's it's pretty incredible. You know, you you, you I have access to these people in such a personal manner 
that is so much different from anything else you you might make because these people they're in prison they're kind of at rock bottom right 90% of the time and and so you kind of you're able to hear all these stories from people that are so personal but also um also it can be quite quite weird and quite scary at times because not not scary because you feel threatened but because you might be talking to someone that has committed a sexual offence for mm-hmm. example and you need to make them like you you know you you can't be like mistreating them because they're not going to make a show with you they're not mm-hmm. going to be on camera you know you you need to be nice to them and also you've got you, you you've got to get them to trust you as well and then so you can be in scenarios where you're talking to people that you really don't want to talk to um and sometimes you almost forget why they're in there they could be in for like armed armed assault they could be in for um sexual offenses they could be in for um murder and and you're you're in there kind of on a very personal level with them right. which which you know there, there's been times where i've kind of at the end of the day been like wow i feel really une- uneasy right. right now about this kind of situation and it's you know that's the job you got to do it and and when the production's finished you'll never speak to them again but it's it's still like in that moment you're like oof this is like really unnerving feeling it seems unnatural what would you say are your biggest takeaways from that experience or lessons that you learned oh oh god kind of self-control almost kind of so if you are talking to someone um that has committed an offense that is quite quite bad then you you almost have to forget that um you know your personal reasons for things and you kind of have to do the job and it's not for everyone a lot of people mm-hmm. don't want to do that for reasons that is like absolutely understandable um but you know you have to kind of almost block out your own feelings own personal um wants and just do do a job almost and and also disconnect yourself from from your job and your personal life you know you have to separate the two um because otherwise things can get confusing during the time that you were filming it, like how did you sort of internalize that? How, how did you kind of manage that? I know you spoke just then about, you know, learning sort of self-control and such, but you know, you're taking this home with you each and every night. Like how, how did you kind of deal with that at the time? And then sort of the immediate aftermath? I guess, I guess, yeah, it is, it is, at the time you do feel you have feelings where you're like 
oh my god like this is this is uneasy you almost get like that anxious kind of feeling in your belly um but then then afterwards i mean because when, when you're when you're filming it you'll be staying in a hotel or mm-hmm. whatever so you're there for a certain, certain amount of time and then when you come home you you're not completely removed from the production you know you could say oh yeah i'll just do that and then come home and it's a completely different world but you've still got to have the the aftermath of it where if you're a producer um where you've got to deal with um the rest of the show the post-production right and so you do come home to it still being on your mind at, at night but the thing that i would say is that you just kind of yeah you you think that's work and this is personal life you, right you really have to distance the two it's it's sort of you know you you hear same from like police and yeah um like you know detectives or whatever where they're like you know you have to distance the two you can't ever get involved in them which is also why you know you, you never hand out any personal mm-hmm. details you know you never you, you can never do that even if someone's really nice and you really like them you think you could be a friend in real life absolutely no because <laughs> it opens that door was there anything that happened uh during the filming of that process maybe that was shocking threw you off guard anything like that that you were maybe unprepared for i mean you are in a prison for some of that production so it's gonna it's all as you mentioned it's already like an uncomfortable experience but i imagine mm-hmm. you know the prisoners are well aware that you know there's cameras on and obviously we know that people um act differently in front of cameras and obviously yeah. these are prisoners so some of these people are maybe unhinged or, you know, they're maybe they have mental health problems or whatever the case may be. Um, and as you mentioned, it's, it's some of the world's toughest prisons, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. So was there anything sort of that happened that was particularly shocking and, and how did your team deal with that? Um, so there was, there was, there've been loads of different things. I mean, I've never felt like unsafe, right. like I'm gonna, like I'm gonna be, be in in harm harmed mm-hmm. in some way but there was there was one scenario where and and it's in and it's in the show where we're in a colombian prison and um our presenter he's he goes into the cell um with his two new cellmates um he's gonna be spending the week with and they then say oh you have to pay us to to be in here and he's like well what if i don't and they're like well then we'll we'll stab you um and everyone watches this show and <laughs> says oh that's so fake that's so set up but genuinely that was not like they just didn't care that the cameras were there they were so like we're in here like so what we're going to be in here for x amount of years like we don't care that this camera's in here this is how we do it you've got to pay us or we'll stab you I think, um, like, they kind of meant like all of you not just the presenter like every um, one of you kind of thing they, they kind of just forgot that the camera was there like you know so they, the camera's in the in the cell with them um then there's a cameraman there there's a sound person and there's a presenter but the the they're saying it to the presenter and they, they don't they don't care about the other two you know and we ended up you know he didn't he didn't pay in the end but they they were so kind of 
like just unfazed by it. And this is what happens so much of the time on this show is where where prisoners, you know, this is their life. You're going into their lives. This is their territory almost. Um, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, that that's fantastic for the show. And that gives such like authenticity and, and allows you to kind of show, show your viewers how it really is a lot of the time. But then it's so funny because you always get the people where they're like, oh, that's so fake, that's so set up, or oh, that's typical TV, but it's, it's genuinely not, which is the crazy part. How much stuff do you actually tend to fake on a general basis? None of it. <laughs> None it's, of it? Yeah, it's, never? It's illegal in the UK. What do you mean? American shows, they can fake some stuff. So, okay. like, there's certain shows that are documentaries, but they actually have paid actors Mm. to go in and pretend to be something in the uk it has to be it's it's trading standards you can't fake a documentary you can't fake anything um so it can be a reality show and you set things up so like rich house poor house we set up a day out for them or we set up that they go and spend a day in the the rich person's business and Mm. experience that but you can never fake anything Otherwise, that is breaking the law. Which what is really basis? What, like, what would the law broken be? Um, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but right. I do know that um, you can't you can't do that. It would yeah. be it it it's under like trading standards and guidelines, so that if it ever comes out that you did set something up on a UK production that is faked, um, and it ha- and it does happen. But if it ever comes out that um, something is is not how it's how it's shown, then it's then then you're breaking the law. You could be sued. The company could lose a lot of money. What about if it's a production that's filmed elsewhere, but it's a UK production? Yeah, still still same rules. Really, same rules. If it's a UK production company. Then yeah, you can't you can't fake it. Um, you can, of course, edit in certain ways, like they do that with reality shows. Um, yeah. But you you don't get that with production companies that are American, for example, which mm. is why you do get a lot of this faked stuff um, in reality shows that are maybe filmed over there by those those companies but if it's a uk company that's filming in so like if, if when we filmed in um columbia we still have to buy by our our standards yeah which it's is very, yeah it's very by heart like finding it out but like i knew that that happened with certain programs but like gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares yeah that's like all fake like, it broke yeah. my heart it broke yeah. my heart Horrible, for, those, for those who don't know, supposedly uh, the fake elements are anytime you see customers in the store or the restaurant at any time, all paid actors. Um, also, this what this one's been proven as well. Pretty much the whole time that Gordon Ramsay is around that place, he has like one or two security guards around him, like to basically stop him from being like beaten up by the people. Because he, he, let's be honest, he says some crazy stuff. Oh, it's, it's outrageous you yeah to, like how are they not beating him up <laughs> that's why because he's got like some six foot guy behind him who's ready to just yeah. 
eat them if they say outrageous <laughs> but that that blew my mind i was like seriously like yeah and yeah, what's worse I... about that is that the whole all the people in the restaurant who are yeah that's real people that's their real business yeah um yeah that they, they they're aware of that they know that everyone on set is is a paid actor like how do they deal with that like I know, it's, it's kind of crazy i mean the, these are things that i don't quite understand sure yeah. I mean, it, it must be the trader i guess from like as long as they look like good people at the end of it it's free advertising <laughs> as you were saying earlier well it's not good with that show because like i think it was there's 70 or 80 percent of the store or the restaurants that were on that show closed down within the first three years or year yeah, of, of the shows coming out some of them closed before even their show aired so how how they convince these people to be on this show i have no idea i mean i i have a like you said like you said advertising people. advertising that's 100 yeah. it's like what we said earlier like um it always comes down to that you know i hear people sometimes say like oh any advertising is good bad advertising even if it's bad i disagree with that but I do think there's a case to be made for just having airtime. Like in the context yeah. of that show, if you think about it, it's automatically bad. You're on a show where you're basically admitting that your restaurant is terrible and failing. And then, you know, this uh, world-class chef comes on and, and you know, fixes your restaurant. And many of them obviously did express successes thereafter some actually were able to continue so there are a few good examples but yeah. generally speaking they came off worse than if they'd have ever gone on the show and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy i mean these are these are things that i'm like what how is this how are you able to make this show i mean like we we had so many troubles i've had so many experiences but it's so tough trying to convince some people to to do it and to be on a show where the outcome is going to be good, like they're going to look like great people, but they don't, but they're not going to do it. And then meanwhile, they're able to convince this failing restaurant to be on national TV with Gordon Ramsay absolutely slating them. How? How? <laughs> right, I've got some fan questions for you. Shout out to Vilma who sent some of these in. Thank you so much. Um, these will go in different directions. Um, still about your tv production work but let's let's see where we go um we've obviously been talking a lot about some of the crazier experiences you've had but what are the craziest tv stories that you can share with us that have experienced over your career craziest tv stories um gosh i'd say i'd say that the, the craziest ones are always on the shows where i mean it's it's always documentaries um where you are making it about someone else's life so and if it's a crime doc then that's always fantastic because then you get to meet like yeah as, as we were saying earlier on like cocaine kingpins and um like on um inside the world's toughest prisons where you're locked in a cell with people that are completely unfazed by the cameras and threatening to stab your presenter <laughs> and um yeah i think i think a lot of them can be really good fun though as well like you know you can be you can be making a show with um like the armed forces i've i've made a documentary with them um before and and you can have a really good time like you are able to do things that 
you shouldn't be allowed to do. Um, I feel like this is... Say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried, guys. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that one, man. <laughs> it's like you will be in just to let me go. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking, like, I probably should not say this. <laughs> No, you've been very forthcoming. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Um, let's steer it in a different direction. So you mentioned that you, yeah, you sometimes, for the most part, you work for a particular production company. But I guess yeah. what I'd like to know is, um, so the question here is, are you a freelancer or are you employed work for a specific station production? So I'm going to switch the question a bit. Um, is it always the case that people in your field work exclusively like for a production or is it more that there's like a kind of a mixture and a blend i mean for example um when the pandemic sort of came and changed the industry did you have like an influx maybe of more freelancers and self-employed um like talk us through like what the general kind of setup is for people working in production as far as their kind of status is concerned when it comes to their how they work yeah, yeah. So um, what you find is that most of the industry is freelance. Okay. Um, what what people will do is they'll they normally start off as a researcher or a runner with a production company, um, and that allows them to get experience, and um, so that they can then once they've got enough experience, then they'll be able to go freelance. Um, and it is that way because it, it, it's just it's just the way of the industry, you know, like you, you become a cameraman or whatever and, and you, you become freelance. So then you can jump from job to job to job and always be experiencing something new as well. That That's that's what's so great about it. Um, but then you do also get some um, some people who are in-house like myself, I was predominantly employed as a development producer. So this was the coming up with the show ideas, selling them. But then I was fortunate enough to be able to have the opportunities to then also work on productions. Um, and yeah, so I, I'd say that, you know, you, you build up the, enough experience at the start of your career to then be able to go freelance because when you're freelance, you know, you're sending your CV out to production companies and, you know, the, the producer might get your CV and be reading it and be like, oh, this person has only ever worked on two shows. Why will I ever employ them? As opposed to the other guy who's worked on like 10 shows, he's got some great references. And so you need to build that up mm. and get there. Um, and if that means working with the same production company for a, for a year or whatever across several shows then that's something you got to do but yeah it's it's predominantly freelance that's interesting i I would have never thought that that was the case i mean it does make sense to some extent i mean you know i'm an actor so like i everything Mm -hmm. i do is freelance like and that in a way kind of blew my mind but also it made perfect sense because it's like you know every time you're working on a project you work on it for a given amount of time it ends you move on um yeah which is why it was, yeah, it explains why, for example, like when you see actors and they look pretty like kind of tired because, you know, they're doing this um, promotion. It's because they've done like, I don't know, 30 to 50 interviews in a day for a film that they recorded like a year before. (laughs) And since they've since worked on several projects 
since then. Yeah, uh, which is always weird to think about. Like right now, like I'm having a similar scenario where there'll be things that I forgot I even did because it's been so long. And then they're like, oh, hey, uh, can you promote this for us? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. What was it again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that, that's one thing that when um, when my last um, uh, track came out, I made it literally like a year before. Yeah. And And then the label decided to release it like completely out of the blue. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I did that. And then they ha- they asked to like write about some stuff to do with it. And I was just like, um, fuck, what did I do? Like, what was that? Like, what was the process? Like, they're like, oh, what, what was the process? And you're doing that. I was like, I don't, I don't fucking know. Turn, turn the computer <laughs> on. <laughs> Opened up, you know. Oh, yeah. no, I mean, it's... Yeah, I suppose because well, they always want a story to sell, don't they? They want like um, oh yeah, of course, behind the lyrics, behind whatever the the sound, etc. Like it because it's it's like what we were talking about earlier. There always the is like a, an interesting story there. Yeah, but you but you've just got to you got you got to dig back in your memory. This is a fun question. How different yeah. is being a TV producer from being a music producer? God, they're completely different completely different industries so music producing is um it's basically like composing but you've also got the mixing the mastering you've got the technical elements with it um tv production you are making a show but it's not so much hands-on like you know a music producer might be compared to like a tv editor Mm -hmm. or something you know you I wouldn't be in there, and, and I have done it. I have done editing before. Um, that's how I first started in media was editing. But then you don't ever like do any of that yourself. You're kind of um, more, yeah, like almost like project managing, but creatively and like kind of like juggling lots of things and like ensuring it it goes in a direction. There you go, Vilma. You have your answer. <laughs> Great question. Thank you. Um, yeah, one, fun, one final question just from this section. The, the, again, another fun question. Thanks for this, Vilma. Is working as a TV producer stressful? How do you manage stress? And how do you organize your time in order to be efficient? And also, how difficult is it to juggle your professional and, pers- and, and private life? So, yeah. Mm. Talk talk us through TV production stress, my friend. All right, all right. Stress, (laughs) stress of TV production. God, like it is, it is stressful. It is a stressful industry, you know. So, you on the one hand, in development, we've got tons of ideas and like loads of work to do, and you get all this rejection. So that's stress number one. But you then get relieved of that when you get these bites of success. Um. And it's almost like, um, yeah, like if, if you're an actor and you apply for like a million roles and then you end up getting that one that just like makes you super happy and just makes it all worthwhile. Um, and then on productions as well, I'd say that a lot of the stress in making factual TV would come from um, kind of coordinating people and you know making making a show 
bit more like being able to make a show basically because you it's not like a a film set where everything's like structured to the T and it's got to be like done um on hour otherwise you're fired it's like you you're kind of running around trying to do stuff and it's always things are changing um depending on like what you're shooting what you're filming i mean i have i have been on sets of like cooking shows where it's very structured but um yeah it's stress of like running around trying to be able to make things happen and like i guess i guess the way to deal with that stress is i mean it's just like any other work stress to be honest like i have moments where i'm like pulling my hair out and like going crazy and being like this fucking person like who should not be named as like how have they worked in this field before <laughs> like they don't know what the fuck they're doing how and it just makes you like but then you you, you need to vent mm-hmm. obviously not to anyone <laughs> but um also just like having having other things to do like this is why i have my music as yeah. well like it, it it's that it's that release it's that relaxation you kind of you can't spend your entire life doing one one piece of work and that stress builds up and you explode because yeah you will explode um and if you haven't yet maybe maybe look for something else to do as well like okay. something to take the edge off exactly get some vices guys um you mentioned about people getting fired and stuff like that yeah <laughs> most unprofessional things you've ever seen on a tv production set or craziest reasons for someone getting fired I mean, there's there's all kinds of crazy crazy shit that that people do, but it's it's always like it's almost always they just they're terrible at their job. Like we had we had this one person that just like they they were supposed to be sort of in charge of this of this shoot, and the director, they, or yeah, just... they, they was the producer director. Um, it was it was a low budget show. I, this was one not not one that I was on, but I was in the same production company at the time, so I so I saw it happen in front of my eyes. But this person, they were supposed to be organising this this shoot, and they it was so disorganised and it when it was going really badly, and it's basically this person's responsibility to do it. But they got to the point where they had like almost a mental breakdown oh. in front of the boss the the managing director like on the morning before they were supposed to go to the shoot so this person like is screaming being like this is the worst thing i've ever had to do and everyone else is just kind of standing there really awkwardly like what do what do we do and then there's this person that they just could not kind of really do their job um and then they ended up having a mental breakdown walked out and so then the shoot had no producer director, no PD for for it, which was supposed to happen in like half an hour's time. Um, and then so, like, I'm pretty sure they got like some emergency person in to kind of like last minute call to come and do it. But that wow. was that was pretty crazy, yeah. And I guess that that might be stress as well. Maybe Damn. this person didn't have a release. 
That was intense, know. man. Here's know, me asking, right? like, oh, maybe we get a funny story, and then we just get a, like a really like intense, <laughs> yeah, like, you're fair play, man. Football. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no like, that's fine. It's fine. Wrong I, sandwich, or I feel for that person, man. I hope they were able to to recover from. That's not easy. I mean, I can imagine how stressful it must be. You got all these yeah. different elements, if especially if it's like your first production or something. That's got to be pretty pretty tough. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I was... like, it, it does it, the stress builds up for some people and you this is why you need to be able to manage your time and your stress mm. effectively this is why i have music as well absolutely you gotta have it um let's move it forward I, I found something very interesting about your background well there's a lot interesting about your background so you used to be uh, a, a cyclist yeah and um Unfortunately, you were involved in a traffic accident that forced you to actually stop. Sorry, you were originally yeah, was it, so... you were doing one thing and then you transitioned to cycling. I can't read my yeah. handwriting here. <laughs> sorry, I apologize. Um, rowing, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, so I was right. doing rowing. So, yeah, you were doing um... rowing. You transitioned to cycling because of this accident. Yeah, walk, walk us through this experience of um of go, going through that accident and how you kind of first of all made that transition, but also I, I'd like to know about how you kind of got through that struggle and 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 moved through to to cycling. Yeah, so I so yeah, I I was a um, rower. At school, I in an insect form. I was um, so like 17, 16, 17. Um, I did rowing and I was um, two time national champion, um, international gold medalist. And Woo! then one day, and I, and I took up cycling just to and from rowing training to kind of like help with fitness. And then one day, I got hit by a car, um, like just like went into the back of me. Um, literally like a few hundred meters away from my house Um, and it was a hit and run they drove off and I was like oh my god yeah it it was atrocious like shattered my shoulder um, had to have it reconstructed Um, and it was pretty it was pretty gutting because I was I was doing rowing obviously you need a shoulder to row (laughs) Um, but I I was also like, you know, I, I was so kind of um, caught up in this accident that I I kind of thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to get get through this and then I'll start rowing again um, a year later or whenever I can do it. You know, I did physio and all this, that and the other to try and get back to it. And during that time, I started doing cycling like on an, on an indoor trainer um, to kind of keep fitness up, keep strong. Rowing's like 90% in the legs, so keeping them strong. And then um, by the time I could actually get back onto a rowing machine, um, I, you know, I'd done all this physio, I'd strengthened my shoulder, been through all this work to do it. I hated it because I wasn't as good as I was. And I was like, felt so left behind. Like I was like, all, all my ex crewmates were all like, you know, going and doing like, all this like GB stuff. 
and I was like just kind of like stuck a year behind almost um and then so I I thought no I don't want to do that anymore um I've, I've done all this for kind of nothing so then I I thought oh actually you know what though no, I, I, I want to stay fit I really enjoy the cycling so I started doing that and I am quite competitive by nature and then so I I started doing it really seriously really quickly just because I wanted to be good and um and then I transitioned into cycling did some races and then after after some years I I uh I got really good um and became professional for for a bit and then that ended because I I was doing a race in in France a professional race um and we were going downhill 80 kilometers an hour I'm like you know how like how cyclists are and they're like yeah. uh, they've got like a bit of plastic on their head to kind of protect you um and I I got pushed or nudged into a curb that was like maybe like 20 centimeters 30 centimeters high it was a huge curb like god why do they have these curbs there anyway front tire hits it i flip face plant at 80 kilometers an hour oh my god yeah i know right (laughs) so (laughs) i'm then i'm then waking up with like i i I won't get into details because it's gross but like half my face hanging up oh um, yeah and then so i was like you know what um maybe maybe i've got to do something else <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> see this is interesting because w- w- i remember when i originally did my research on you i thought like oh you know this this is tough of course it's no doubt was tough for you i imagine but like yeah at the same time it, it seems like you, t- you took it with like almost with a an ounce of humor like hmm maybe <laughs> maybe the universe is telling me something here maybe i should like transition into something yeah, else literally. again <laughs> But I feel I feel like this is a fascinating aspect to your life because it's if there's something to be picked up from your life, it's the master of reinvention. It's you've kind of proven that you know you, when you put your mind to something, you work hard enough for it. You can you can achieve a lot of different things in your life, and you don't have to just do the one thing. And yeah. this is something I relate to personally. I for me, it's it's about keeping things interesting. I like doing podcasting, acting, music content creation whatever because it's all the processes are different they all link on the creative sphere but they're all totally different and it's the same for you like sports is you know that takes a great a great deal of uh, perseverance motivation determination everything and it seems to me like you've kind of just taken that and applied that to your career in music production and and sound production um I, i guess one thing I'd like to know, though, is like, how did you kind of retain that motivation? Because that's that's hard, man. You know, you yeah. had you put all this time and effort into rowing. You hit with an accident. It's nothing you can do. It's just this life, isn't it? And then it happens yeah. again. Talk us through like how you initially got through and fought because it's it's happened twice now, and it's like, yeah. How do you internalize that? How do you kind of move past that and get to where you are today? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I- at the time there there are there is a period where where you're like super upset about it sure. mental health does does affect you like you know you become a bit depressed like oh i've put all this work and effort into this 
you know when i when i quit cycling i was um it was a really big big time for me because this was like it almost defined who i was but it um moving on from from that moment where you're finally able to be like okay i'm this i need to do something else i guess i i need something to to kind of obsess over i guess i I have this uh obsessive personality where i i kind of i need to do something as as well as i can i don't want to just half-ass anything i don't want to kind of do music production or i don't want to kind of be a uh cyclist or just do it for fun like i kind of i start doing it i'm like oh but i can do that better oh and i can do that better and that better and that better and that better and then before i know it, i'm spending my time doing it and kind of trying to be be the best that i can possibly be with it and then moving on from one to another so like from the road to cycling i guess i also I have less issue with that than you would expect, I guess, which would be the surprising answer because I guess I always want something new in my life. Like I, I guess that's why I'm in TV because I, um, every job is a new one. You know, every production is something new, something different. One minute I'm working on a hip hop doc, the next time with like um, a crime documentary, the next time with military, the next time in a prison, whatever, you name it. But um, it's that kind of, you bounce from one thing to another, keeping your life interesting. I want to experience as much shit as possible <laughs> and be be really good at it. Have you ever had any productions that brought you back in the sphere of rowing or cycling? Uh, no. I tried. Yeah. I tried once to get uh to get a show to get a documentary with um the cycling team that i i had some friends that knew these people so it's friends of friends where it was basically this this indoor track cycling team that were independent they were just like a group of mates um that were really good at what they did but they were ending up going to like cycling world cups as an independent people. So they're up against like the GBs, USAs, wow. France, whatever, and they're winning. Damn. And I really, really wanted to make this documentary about them and them going into like win the world championships and break the world record. Um, and then just, just there was no interest in it. Like, really? Because yeah, this is the thing. It sounds sick, right? Sounds yeah, it's amazing. like a movie idea, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. I know, right? But this is that—that's TV for you, man. <laughs> like, you gotta, you gotta. This is what I mean by right person, right place, right time. See, you now gotta, you've said it. Like, we'll know in like a few years from now if it gets made. We'll be like, okay, well, where's yeah. our money? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give it to me. Give me the money. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's this, this, this. That's the thing. It's like that. It's these like incredible stories that you really want to tell. But anyway, that that was probably the closest that I got to that. Um, 
and yeah my experience of within the cycling world kind of helped me be able to to know about it and make it and that kind of stuff um but yeah it's pretty cool absolutely yes man um just to, oh i could ask you questions all day but um gonna wind it down ask you a couple of que- quick fire questions i ask every guest yeah what's the best advice you've ever received best advice i've ever received god that is difficult um i would say best advice i've ever received is don't don't care about how well you do it or like the the end result compared to other people so let's say if i'm going to do cycling or music production i don't care if i'm not um you know the next number one selling musician or like the next chris hoy or whatever as long as i do the best that i can so yeah so don't don't compare yourself to others just as long as you do the best that you possibly can you can never be disappointed in yourself so even if you put in 100% of the effort and you don't make it you'll still know that you tried the hardest you could to do it and you'll never be you'll never have that sort of disappointment looking back on it you know at the time yeah you might be disappointed that you didn't make a team or whatever but looking back on that in 10 years time you'll be like nah i tried as hard as i possibly could what do you think changes as far as like your cuz i got to say like i i relate to this very deeply um yeah when it comes to failure and i accept that it's a big part of you know <laughs> the entertainment industry right and everything we do but what do you think it is that changes over the years that makes you think you know what at least i tried and and that kind of feeling a disappointment that you didn't make it mm. then dissipates why do you think that is i'd say i'd say it's sort of as i mean cuz you have so much failure this mm. is the thing is that everyone only sees like success like social media and all that everyone only sees successes behind that everyone's trying a million and one things you know i've made a million and one songs that are failing i hate them i'm not selling them to labels i'm not doing any of this then you always see that one success but behind that there's so much failure and being able to deal with that failure is so important and at the time yeah it'll be it'll be fucking horrible and you'll hate it and you'll hate that kind of feeling that you failed almost but as soon as you realize that okay but you tried as hard as you could then as you as time goes on you start to like you become more distanced because you do other stuff you know other things take priority in your life you know i don't look back on rowing now and think oh that one training session where i didn't do that hard enough but it was it it's basically like as long as you look back at it and you don't have that midlife crisis and they're like but i could have been good enough no 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 you weren't good enough because that's just human nature and not everyone's going to be good at everything you know some people i'm not amazing at acting for example and so i'm never going to be a hollywood a lister 
but I know that if I if I try to be as good as I can at something that I can I can never look back at it and feel oh what if okay well I do agree with what you're saying I want to okay. pick at it but only for one detail yeah with your life specifically you had these two things that you excelled at that one could argue from sort of a fate perspective, you were rocked because it's not like you failed because, I mean, did you really fail? You had accidents, which that's, that's very different. If we're talking about like, oh, I applied for a role and I didn't get it. You can argue, yeah. oh, maybe I didn't prepare well enough. Maybe I didn't, I don't know. Uh, have enough train whatever you can maybe look and i know that the other flip side of that would be like hey maybe they just didn't like you maybe they yeah. you know they had a specific guy in mind and i totally agree with all that but with your specific story it's like this was taken away from you yeah i, I mean i'm I, I sure you've, that... you've i'm sure you've wondered about that like okay yeah. let's say that those accidents didn't happen what might my, yeah. my life look like and that's an intriguing question to then answer. And, and then, do you know what I mean? But that, that's the thing though, is that I don't, I, I don't look back at those and think, oh, I, I, I failed. Right. I yeah. But, but because, because yeah, I mean, I did succeed. I got to that level that I wanted to do in cycling. I got to being professional, but I feel like, you know, I wasn't the best in the world, but I tried my hardest and I quit cycling because of other circumstances, you know, with the, with the accident and moved on to something else. But the, the thing with the cycling is that I wasn't the best in the world. That doesn't disappoint me. You know, I was still really good because I tried as hard as I could. But then, you know, these are the only the successes. There's been other things where I failed, you know? Sure. There's been, it's like the endless kind of um, music that I might make, the endless show ideas that I come up with that don't make it. But as long as you try really fucking hard, you won't have that long lasting disappointment. No, I, I totally agree. I guess I'm just picky because it's like, I find the whole concept of something being taken away from someone. Yeah. It's very fascinating because it's like, obviously the story there is, hey, this person perseveres, they go on, they do great things elsewhere in their life. And then you are a testament to that fact. And it's amazing to see. But it's also that I can't help but ask the what if questions. Do you know what I mean? Like, what if yeah, this, what yeah. if that, what does that mean? You know, um, you, you think these all the time. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I see people that are like, I don't know, I, I might beat them in races all the time and are cycling and now I see them and they're like, oh, they're going to Commonwealth Games or whatever. And I'm like, damn, that could have been me. But then I'm like, you, you have these pangs where you're like, oh, that could be me. But then at the same time, it's not, you know, you tried as hard as you could and then you stopped it because you had an accident. That's not, you know, I didn't, I didn't fail. Well, that's but, kind of exactly what I meant before yeah. as well. Like it's, that's what differentiates it. Yeah. I don't know that it could ever really be called a failure because it's like, and and also I'll add this as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with failure. Failure has like so many oh. negative connotations attached to it, and it seems like we're in the same school of thought here. That like yeah. fa true failure is never trying. 
that's yeah. that's the real exactly. failure you know that, that's basically what i was trying to say but like the really <laughs> long winded way that's like the, we've got to make this podcast five hours long <laughs> i promise like, you i'm not I, trying I to, just want to stay chatting to you all day man like <laughs> i'm just gonna say this really long way let's switch it up um what's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far oh god um okay similar similar vibe biggest life lesson most important life lesson is that you have got to have perseverance and you've got to keep on going with stuff because if you don't then you aren't going to have success you know unless you're an epo baby or you're like strangely weird genetics mean that you're the fastest man alive you, you you're not going to have that success overnight um and for for um for actors it could be that they've struggled for years and years and years and all it takes is that one break and then you're set up for success because you can then ride that it's like with with my cycling i was i tried and tried and tried and for years i thought oh maybe i'm not, i'm just not good enough maybe i'm not going to make it as professional but you have that perseverance and and one day i got there i tried hard enough and i got there it's the same with music i had so many songs that i'd sent to labels or that I would make and just weren't good enough. Um, either because I thought so and I just like throw them in the bin or because you do get this rejection so much. I know of like top artists that get rejected. Um, it's like, yeah, like you're saying, like the B-sides, Every everyone has this, but all it takes is that one little success to then prove to yourself that you can do it. And you just need to keep on trying because who knows, you could give up tomorrow, but then the next day you would have come up with that song or you would have auditioned for that role and you would have got it. It's like you've got your whole life to do this shit. Why only spend a tiny proportion of doing it and then complain that you're not successful? You've got to have that perseverance. You've got to keep on going with it. Like lately, every time I do this show, I, I, I could just, I'm going through a time in my life right now where like everywhere I look and what I hear, like I've got this like self doubt and stuff about like whether I'm going to make it myself and all of that. And I kid you yeah. not, I do a show. The people that appear on the show, they're saying exactly what you're saying. I look on my feed, and you know what's funny about like things like TikTok and Instagram is normally they're always listening in the background, as we know. I started getting some super motivational stuff on my feed, like telling me like keep going, stop giving up, stop complaining. I'm like, it just feels like a sign, man. Feels like a sign I feel, I feel that that's that's the, the um, your phone's listening to you, and now yeah, you're getting the course. ads that yeah. target it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. But like just. Can we just pretend it's fate for five minutes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the podcast element, that is fate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you can argue it's what you ask people, but you, you can never really control what people are going to say. So, um, but yeah. yeah. Absolutely exactly. wonderful. It, I mean, this is the thing, though. This is why you keep on hearing it, because it's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Often, often the best advice is is the most simple, really, and that's kind of just how it always works. Yeah. But um, I will say it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for Likewise. being on the show, and I wish you the very best with all your future projects. Yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, it's been it's been sick. Really enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you for having me on the show, and uh, yeah, wish you all the best of luck as well. Thank you very much. And to all the listeners of the Christian Reed podcast, I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, let me know what you'd like to hear on the show next time, who you'd like to see on the show next time. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.